1: looking for truth from God's word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
2: Why did he give three points in a poem? Why didn't he have a lot of song and dance? Why didn't he have how to get out of debt? Why didn't he have all this other stuff? Because he knew that as he's giving the truth, all the work, all the effort to help that person become spiritual and walk with the Lord could easily be taken away by someone permitted to give false doctrine to those folks and to be aware of it and how easy it is. And dear ones, <clears throat> when I work with, with youth, we were um, part of our youth teaching to them, besides all the doctrinal stuff, is I would warn them about the insidiousness of taking drugs. And we would just call it chemical dependency. So it could be drugs, we were in Texas, it was chewing tobacco. I know that sounds funny, but the kids are really big into that. You know, you go into other things, anything that would take their minds and mess it up. And when I taught them, and parents, you might want to remind them of this. When, when your kids are exposed to drugs, they're not going to take drugs from somebody that wears an old trench coat that hides behind a telephone pole and says, Yeah, you want some drugs? They're not going to take it from that. They're going to take it from whom? Their friends. The ones they spend time with. The ones that they talk about a lot of other stuff that they have in common. The only thing they don't have in common is drugs. And that person that has drugs and wants to sell them drugs and want them to be part of their own world of junk wants to get them involved in that. Now, why am I telling you that? It's not so you just warn your kids of drugs that it's going to come from their friends and their neighbors and the people that they go to the games with and all that. I'm telling you, that's how people are going to come after you and your doctrine. It's not going to be someone that comes in blatantly and says that Jesus is a clown. You'll know that right off the bat that that's not true. It's going to come from someone in your small group. It's going to come from someone that you eat with, and they're talking about a lot of nice stuff that you can agree with, and all of a sudden, did he really say that? And all of a sudden, it's going to chisel you little by little by little. And because they are ministers of righteousness, watch this now, they're going to cause you to question first before they implant the false doctrine. They're going to cause you to question the doctrine that you believe before they implant the bad doctrine. And so we have to be aware of that. And that's what he did. It was very rampant. Now let me give you some reasons why I think that um, the office, or if you want to call it that, of apostleship is not here for today. I'm going to give you seven of them. They're going to go pretty quickly. If you can't get them all down, that's all right. They're not on the screen. You can get it off the CD. The first one is, and I think this is pretty important, is that none of those people or none of the people today possess all of the credentials of an apostle that are found in Scripture. Now, since that is true and that's who the apostles would be, I really don't need to give you the other six if you just own this one. They just don't have it. They have not seen the Lord. They have not been spoken to directly by the Lord. They have not been witnessing or manifesting the signs and miracles, and I don't say that. We know people have done that, but let me warn you. We also know that in the latter days... There'll be other people that can perform all different kinds of signs that are not of the Lord, so you don't use that, but you put it all together, they do not have it in its entirety, all the credentials that the foundational apostles have. That alone would tell you that that office has now ceased. But if that's not enough for you, let me give you number two. Number two would be found in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 9. You may want to turn there or just jot it down and look at it on your, on your, at your own time. This passage I'm about to show you is going to have to be explained to you a little bit more in the Greek language. The reason I have to do that is because in Greek, they have different tenses that we don't have here in English. And when you read this in the Greek, it'll come out a little bit more alive. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9. And simply is this, is that the days of apostles in this passage is indicating that they're over. It's done with, all right? Let's look at verse 9. It says, Paul speaking, for I think God has exhibited us apostles, underline it, last of all, not at the beginning of the apostles, not as part of a larger team throughout church history, last of all. And then it says the rest of the passage. Now that phrase last of all comes from a Greek tense. I'm not real fancy in Greek, but enough of it I know. That means it's done with, it's last, it's over with and it's not going to happen anymore. So you could look at it as a past tense experience. All right, number three. The pastoral epistles, if you study them, you're going to find Paul, watch this now, this is so cool. Paul is now writing to Timothy as the New Testament church is now being founded. Timothy probably was one of the elders. He had already warned that I read to you already. Now he has written them two letters because Timothy pastored the church at Ephesus, and he now tells him this is the list of qualifications for church leaders. They would be pastors and elders. He did not give a list of qualifications for apostleship. The reason being, again, if the apostles were the foundations, and if the apostles con- continued, you'd have apostles, pastor, teachers, and on down the line, and he would have given a list of qualifications. There was no need for that because the, the office of apostleship was now coming to a close as it would be known as foundational apostle. So again, the apostles, the pastoral epistles would eliminate the need for apostles because there's no list of qualifications. Number four. Number four is that the apostles were special men commissioned for a unique role, and that unique role was the building of the church. I, you heard me say that. I need you to see this now in your Bible. Ephesians chapter 2, and have your pens ready, because one more time I'd like to show you again why that office is no longer today. Ephesians chapter 2, look if you will at verse 20. Read the whole context if you'd like when you have some time, but beginning in verse 20 it says here about the church and it being built, it says, verse 20, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. You might want to underline the phrase having been built. That tells you that it has already been done. It's not being built by apostles. It has already been built by apostles. So again, it's a past tense experience. All right. Next, if you understand that there was truths given to the apostles, that's why there was the confirming signs that was given to them. When, when, if the, the office of apostleship, as it would be in Scripture, the old the, the 12, would exist today, that then would mean, well, we must need it today. What do we need them for? Do they have to confirm the word with signs? No, because we already have the word. Uh, is it because they need to reveal truth to us? Oh, no, we already have it. That's why you have apostles today that sometimes say, I got a message from God, and they dump it on you. And they're thinking that they still have it from the Lord, and that's really not from the Lord because the canon is closed. I'll speak even more to that in a moment. And so again, since we have no need for a further revelation from God, there's not that need for the apostleship because part of it was to communicate further revelation to you and to me. All right? So that didn't happen. So the revelation part is now done. All right? <clears throat> Number five. And that is he does not keep on giving apostles. In other words, once he's done it, there's no more apostles. You do not see that once the apostleship is ended with 12, one of those guys gets martyred or dies, and most of them were martyred. You do not see anywhere in Scripture that they were replaced. They did not need to be replaced. Their function was coming to the close at the end of their life, at the end of the ministry, because, because the revelation was coming to a close at that time as well. Let me give you... Um, Maybe one more. Am I at number seven? I don't have my number. What number are you? Six? So I now give you number seven, right? Good. If my numbers are with yours. Let's say that there were apostles since the New Testament time. Those apostles, I'm sure would have some significant influence on the, on the church. I don't think they would be totally obscure. You don't know anything about them in some measure because they were used as an influence. It is true. Some have greater influence. Some have lesser influence. But if there were still a continued role of apostleship, you then would question, all right, who are the greatest influences of the church? Maybe they were apostles. So I did a study. I thought, here is just a list of some in church history. I'm not giving you all of them, but you've heard of some of these names. Athanasius, Irenaeus, Hippolytus, Augustine, Luther, Calvin, Jonathan Edwards. Into our day almost would be Charles Hodge, A.H. Strong, and even Gill. All of these were great theologians that really helped us understand, that took us from uh, the the time of the, the, the wrong doctrine, the doctrine of faith in Christ, but not faith alone in Christ. We get into the Reformation. These guys took us to the next level of really understanding what Scripture was. None of them said that they were an apostle. None of them had a special message from God All those guys took what was already revealed and kept clarifying it so that we would have truth in our life today. So I hope you're grabbing the fact that we don't have these apostles any longer for today. All right. Man, I got to end this thing here real quick. Turn, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Let me see if I could let this be my last passage for you to look at. I think so. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. The characteristics of a false teacher, a false prophet, and in this case, a false apostle, chapter 11. First of all, it'd be Second Corinthians eleven 12. It'd be pride. He says, but what am I doing I will continue to do so that I may cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the matter about which they're boasting. You're saying, what in the world is that all about? The false apostles were speaking on the behalf of God, their interpretation, and they were doing it for money. Paul was in Corinth and he says, when I did it, I never charged you so that you would know that I'm not after your money. These guys did it so they could boast. We're not going to do that. We're going to make our ministry of no charge. And you can read that throughout 1 Corinthians if you'd like. The second would be, and by the way, go back in your mind and think about all those false teachers that are alive today. Think about their opulent lifestyles. Go onto the internet and find out what kind of cars they drive to start with. Look at the kind of watches they wear, the kind of places they go, the money they spend on their hairstylists, the kind of... Um, uh, vacations they take, the kind of homes in which they live, all the electronic stuff that they have and then you take all of that and you now now match it up to their wives you look at their kids and you see that opulent lifestyle because part of that is the taking in of that and the way they bamboozle their people thinking that all this has to show you how rich God is and how he wants to make you rich and we have it to show all that and that's so anti-scriptural, it's just manipulation and intimidation of the people. Alright, the second one would be, besides pride, would be deception. And Paul spends more time on this. He says, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as, there's the phrase, apostles of Christ, acting as if they were part of the twelve. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Just like Satan came into the garden to, to uh, bamboozle the people there, to trick them, to disguise them, those same kind of people are coming into the church to trick them. Verse 15, therefore it is not surprising if his servants also That would be the false apostles, just like Satan. Disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Stop for a moment. See where it says servants of righteousness? When they come in, they want to say, we are serving you. We want you to have righteous. We want you to have real truth. What you're hearing is not truth out there. This is real truth. So they make it sound so good. But remember that often the case is that it's not truth. They're a servant of righteousness, and they're deceiving us, and it's not real. It goes a little bit further whose end will be according to their deeds, which will be, of course, judgment. And the last would be that they abuse the people that they're actually saying that they're serving and trying to help. How do they abuse them? Go to verse 20 now. Paul is kind of tongue-in-cheek talking to the Corinthians now. He says, For you tolerate it or them. You tolerate the false teaching, the false apostles' influence on your life. If anyone enslaves you. In other words, they say, This is the truth. you got to get away from all of you. This is the little box you have to be in. This is how you have to do it. These are your three ways to live your Christian life. They whether it's salvation works or whether it's works to be spiritual, however it is, it's an enslaving thing. They say, don't trust him, don't be around anybody else. This is a set of books. This is a set of seminars. This is the people you need to be around. This is the group you need to attend. They put you in that box. Okay, besides they enslave you, it goes on to say, anyone devours you. It's an interesting word because it's the same word that was used when the Pharisees would devour widows by taking as much money from them. So it was a greedy devouring they're going to devour the people. Get what they can out of the people. Anyone takes advantage of you. Anyone who exalts himself, which generally they do. Most of them will write a book that'll say, keep that, that special distance from your people so they don't really know you so you can keep the mystique going so that you will listen to them when they speak. And so they do that. They don't let you in on the real themselves. They exalt themselves as knowing more than everybody else that they're generally right. They'll kind of put you underneath their wings. They exalt themselves. And it says as. And anyone who hits you in the face. Now, when I read that, I thought, what does that mean? Who's going to hit somebody in the face? So I got two answers for you. One of them, I think, is more accurate. The other one is maybe my thoughts. All right, the accurate one is this. That phrase, if anyone hits you in the face, was a Middle Eastern euphemism for embarrassing you because when you got hit in your face, somewhere in your face, it was a real sign of shame. If you let anyone shame you, if you let anyone make you feel guilty, if you make anyone make you feel badly, it's like if anyone hits you in the face, it kind of brings you down like, you're letting them do that. That's in the context here. I think it's perhaps even a little bit more today when anybody thinks that you might have a de- demon inside of you, what do they do? They hit you on the forehead. They slap you in the face. Have you read any of these things? Have you seen any of that stuff out there? How did Jesus deal with demon-possessed people? He just spoke and they left. You don't have to hit anybody in the face. I don't know that that's the proper interpretation, but I do think the other one is if anyone is going to bring you into bondage, and that's what these people were mostly doing. So, to bring this to a close, I want to warn you about this. <clears throat> has the, the false prophets, false apostles, died somewhere when we finally had the whole canon and we were able to print all these scriptures and we now have more theology books that we can be able to discern truth? It has not. I think P.T. Barnum had it right there was a sucker born every minute. Have you ever heard that before? I don't know if you have. I think they're everywhere. I want to warn you of this. There is a resurgence of this whole apostolic movement today, and it's called the New Apostolic Reformation. You've got to be aware of this. It is out there. And if you'd like to have more material, i will be glad to give it to you. When I describe to you their doctrinal position, I'm going to do it and boom, 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 boom. I want you to go through a gallery of your mind of people you listen to on the radio, books that you read, television shows that you watch, the people that you have dinner with that are part of your Christian fellowship and see how many of these they are embracing that's now a part of the theology of the new apostolic reformation. Number one, the restoration of the foundational apostles and prophets in the churches. In other words, they will adamantly say, apostleship is here today the only thing i can say is yes god does have apostleships in the sense that there could be someone called as a messenger to share the word of god somewhere else or to plant a church or a ministry no extra special signs not hearing a voice from god specially like his voice or jesus calling him out in a dark stormy night but they're saying the gift then is alive today number two the teaching and promotion of transferable impartations or anointings that are passed on by the laying on of hands, by the will of man. In other words, you don't have the gift. I will now place in you special impartation. I will make you an apostle. I'm one, you now can be one. So they're now giving that special power to you to be able to be an apostle. Number three, confession and deliverance from sin to men. In other words, the apostles say, we now can confess your sin for you because you are so messed up. We will now do it on your behalf to God. Number five, excuse me, number four, the impartation of spiritual gifts by the laying on of hands, such as the gift of languages for missionary service and other ministry skills. In other words, you're going to be a missionary, you need to have special tongues or languages to go there. We are now going to give you that that gift by laying hands on you and you need special skills out here. So the way that happens is we who have this special connection to God will now give it to you by laying hands on you. Now, again, you'll see little variations of that, but I think you know what I'm saying. Number five, the practice of imparting and imposing personal leadings by the means of the gift of utterances or what is called the word of knowledge or prophecy. Now, I see sometimes more of this than anything else when someone comes up to you and says, you know, I've studied the word, I've prayed, I'm sensing God, I've talked to my counselors, and here's what we need to tell you, this is what God wants you to do. Now, that sounds pretty good because there's some accuracy in that. If I'm going to go to counsel you, I want to make sure that I have sound doctrine. I want to make sure that I'm thinking clearly with the Lord, that I'm sensing this is the right time. I've checked some people to make sure my thinking is correct, and I want to give it to you. But watch, the fine line is this. The fine line isn't going to be, should you go to this church or that church? It's not going to be, should you buy a blue car or a red car? Should you marry this person or that person? It's going to be, what does the word of God say? Watch this. Anybody, and most of those false teachers can take any scripture, because they know scripture, but they can take it out of context and away from systematic connection to get it to say anything that they want. Do you need an example? Satan himself did it. And so it can happen. And that's what they're doing. They have this special word of knowledge. And then lastly, they then will distort scripture and also go against the clear teaching of historic Christianity. Not maybe in total, but in part. So, I've given you some written application points about how you desperately need people involved in ministry, God's calling you, etc. That's important, but I want to give you a couple others and we will close now. I want you to listen very carefully to the people that are speaking, and if I could give you one person I want you to listen to very carefully, if there was one person I would want you to be extremely careful with who you're listening to, here it is. Write his name down Stan Pons. Now, I'm serious. I'm serious. Why would I be telling you watch out for everybody else, but I'm exempt from this stuff? You watch out. You make sure that I've gone through Scripture. And if you don't understand something, that's okay. I'm going to learn it. I'm going to go back to the Scripture. You're probably wrong anyway, but, but no, I'm just joking. But we want to come back to it together. So listen very carefully. Number two, watch their life. It is very easy for people to parade all the right stuff, and they, they will draw from years of experiences of illustrations in their life to put forth the very best about them publicly. But get to know them as much as you can personally. Watch to see that their, their walk matches their talk. It's usually where the breakdown is. And then number three, continue to immerse yourself in God's word. Select the studies that are going to put the word of God on top of the DVD, on top of the workbook, on top of the sermon even. The Word of God is first. got to learn it. you got to study it. It's not something you get overnight, but be very careful. The world is full of charlatans. They're all out there. Well, let's bow our heads and close our eyes and just have a moment of just worshiping the Lord. Thank you for letting me go a little bit longer. I needed to nail this down this week. Next week, we'll um, get into some new material on the DNA of a healthy church. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, we've asked if there were some guests that are here and, found out that there were none, that uh, this is one of the most uh, most unusual Sundays we've had in, in the area of not having guests. I can't hardly remember when we haven't had a guest. And maybe one even slipped in since. That might be the case. And if that is the case, what, what you're hearing here about all these false teachers, if you want to hear the right teacher, then listen to Jesus Christ in his own words. I do not even need to commentate on it. His words are so clear, and because it's the inspired word of Christ... It is powerful, and it goes like this. For God so loved you that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ, that whoever you are, if you will believe in him, you will not perish, but you will have eternal life. That is all you need to know for you to make the decision now to place your faith in. In Christ alone. You will not perish. Why? Because you have the forgiveness of sins. If you have the forgiveness of sins and won't perish, then what will you have? Eternal life. Not life until you sin again. Eternal life. What do you have to do? You have to believe in Him, Christ. Not just believe. Not just believe in anything. You need to believe in Christ. Not behave, not believe and behave, believe in Christ. The word is enough. Now the spirit is working. Now would be a good time to believe in Christ. So you will not perish, but have everlasting life. Is there anyone in here today that uh, is placing their faith in Christ, in Christ alone? I'd like you to let me know by an uplifted hand. You could let me know privately by filling out the card and drop it in the offering later. But raising your hand or filling out a card or walking an aisle or even me praying for you won't get you into heaven. It's when you believed in Christ that gives you eternal life. I just want to celebrate with you because you now have believed in Christ. So, is there anyone in here today that uh, trusted in Christ for their salvation? You did it today? Would you like to slip up your hand? I won't have you stand up. I won't say anything out loud. You won't have to say anything out Nobody can see your hand but me. And God already saw your heart before your hand went up. Is there anyone at all? Slip up your hand. Anyone at all? Okay, Christians. God has given the body pastors and teachers and pastor teachers. And as long as they stay true to the word of God in their heart, their mind, their life, more than likely, they'll remain true to God with their tongue in their teaching. Just make sure that they're men and women of the book. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have revealed us your word in Scripture. You revealed yourself to us. I thank you that, Father, that there were so many warnings about what's false so we can be aware that it's out there, that we will not be ravaged, by false teaching and false teachers. Help us, Father, to get involved in good Bible studies where the word of God is taught with godly people that are truly seeking truth, knowing truth, willing to defend truth. Father, we thank you that at the beginning of the church you had these men in place for us and you've given them the word and the spirit so the church began pure. The church, still your body, is pure today. And yet there may be some false teaching that is in the church. We can at least observe it, reject it, and hopefully close the mouths of those who are teaching it incorrectly if they're unable to help us to give them the truth and have them change their mind. Father, I just love you and I love these dear people. I just weep for them, Lord, in Jesus' name.